Again, we'll be going to Ephesians chapter 4, hopefully to finish up the chapter. For those of you who weren't here on Wednesday, I did explain uh, one of the hardest parts for me in picking a passage or preaching at all is picking the passage. And uh, for several weeks, I listened through the New Testament while I was working, and I listened to it several times, and uh, didn't really find a passage that really jumped out to me. But this is the passage that kept on pricking at my heart and kept on coming back to me while I was listening through the New Testament. And I was thinking through if I would come here or if I'd go somewhere else and, and would take on a youth ministry pastorate, what would I want it to look like? What would be my philosophy of ministry towards it? What would be the principles that I would base uh, the decisions on running the youth ministry and interacting with the teens? How would they be a part of the church? Um, and I was struggling through that aspect of, of my ministry, and I've gone through it in seminary, but it's different when you're about to start a job. You rethink it all. And I, was, I decided I wanted to go back and just study it for myself. Um, and I kept coming back to Ephesians chapter 4. And it was a, a great benefit, challenge to me, to be able to study Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul paints us a picture of the church. And it's important to understand before we jump into it, when, when we're talking about the church here, uh, this here is our local church. Um, we are talking about the group of people that come and meet together, not the building that is located here in Pennsylvania. It's you, it's the congregation, it's the members. We are the church. Paul talks about the local church, which is, there's a bunch of local churches all throughout. When he, when he writes the different epistles uh, to, to Philippians, to Colossians, he's writing to specific local churches. Most likely those letters were shared throughout other churches also. But he was writing with a specific church in mind. That's the local church. We also have this idea of the universal church, which is the idea that all believers that come to Christ uh, throughout all of history are, are, are combined with the universal church. Um, if they come to Christ uh, and have accepted him as their savior, uh, Christ puts them in part of the, the universal church, something that was started uh, at Pentecost and goes through uh, throughout history now. So we have these two different concepts of the local church and the universal church. When Paul's talking here, he's going to talk a lot about the universal church, but those, those principles are also very specific to the local church. Um, there's only one that we'll deal with a little bit, and it's the idea of church membership. In the universal church, our church membership is salvation. When we are saved, we are joined into the, local, into the universal church. However, as a local church, um, part of what we've established as our constitution is we vote members in, into the local church to be a part of our body. Um, but in this passage that Paul is talking about, it's more of the idea of the universal church. We are saved into the body of Christ. And in, this, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us three insights into the church. And I'm going to run through the first two really quick as review, uh, just to give those that weren't here on Wednesday a little bit of a background of where we're going to end up going. But first, uh, Paul's first insight, in, insight into the local church or into the church is his desire or expectation of the church. A, in your notes, Paul expected the believers to match their identity. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, uh, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. He's expecting the, the Christians, he's expecting himself to match the identity of who he was. He was a Christian, therefore he was to act like a Christian. 
Uh, many of you are in jobs. You have, you're either a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher. You're, you're expected to live up to that vocation. And, and Paul's saying the same for each one of us. We are to live up, we are to match the identity that we are as Christians. In verse 2, he goes on also. And the lifestyle that Paul explains is an outward view, not an inward view. It's an other service, not a, a self-service. He says in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. The idea is all of those terms are how you view others. They're not, they're not viewing yourself, they're not exalting yourself, but you're actually humbling yourself and esteeming others while you're going through those, allowing yourself to suffer long for them, um, doing so in meekness, uh, and you're, you're seeking to love one another. So Paul expected the believers to match their identity. Be in your notes. He expected the believers to be a unified body. And he, he hints at this at two places throughout the passage, but it's also clear in other passages. If we jump down to verse 3, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. This was Paul's view of it. He was endeavoring as a leader of the church, as a part of the church, he was endeavoring to keep the unity in peace. If you jump over to Philippians chapter 1 also, uh, verse 27, he makes it very clear. He says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Um, in Philippians 2, uh, verse 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This was a mindset of Paul. He, he valued the unity within the church, and he said it was something that we should strive for. Um, the same is going to be true in this passage here. He, he goes on in, uh, back in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He lays out this statement of what we believe, and he uses all of these one terms, okay? We have one this, one this, one this. He used seven of them. And it, partly in contrast to the view of, of the, the religions that would have been around him during his day. Uh, the Ephesians, anyone in the Roman world really, they would have viewed lots of gods as being normal. You can serve lots of gods, you can follow lots of gods, you can pick and choose which god you want to serve. Um, it's something that they would have done very, very frequently. They would just have an abundance. Paul even speaks a whole message to the unknown God. He uses an example to tie it back to Christ and say how he's the true and only God. So the believers would have, would have understand that, and he probably would have combated that some in verse 4. He says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. So even in, in the, the beliefs that we had, there was a unity as far as what the church believed. And it was the fact that there was one God, um, one religion that we were to follow, um, and that religion was found not in, in a system, but in Jesus Christ. He also gives several terms that we looked at uh, as far as the unified body. He uses the idea of a body. He also uses the idea of a building. You can find those uh, Ephesians chapter 2, um, and also uh, chapter 4, uh, verse uh, 15, at the very end, he says, uh, talking about Christ, he says, we're supposed to grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ, uh, of this body that we are a part of. Each of those terms, both a, a building and a body, inherent is in them is the idea of unity. When you walk into a building, you expect it to be complete. You don't expect parts to be all over the place. Um, and I shared, I was in construction 
Uh, that's what I filled in my jobs uh, throughout college and seminary and even through high school a little bit. I can walk into a building, and there's many of you in here that do the same thing, and you can dissect the whole room and you see all the parts. For some of you, you walk in and all you see is color. For some of you, you walk in and all you see is light. And you know, what is the mood or atmosphere of the room? But inherent in a building is the fact that it's complete, that it is all together, even though it is made up of a bunch of different parts. Um, our bodies, we expect them to work together, all of the individual parts to work together and to be able to function. When they are functioning correctly, we feel like we can do a lot of things. We can go about our normal daily activities. We don't have anything hindering us. But when something doesn't work properly, then you realize how much that part is important. Uh, for many of you, you have different, you've gone through this, all of us have. Uh, whether it being sickness, whether it be injury, you've gone through a spell in your life most likely where there is an, a part of your body that is aching, it's hurting, it's not doing what it's supposed to, and it affects the rest of the, the, rest of the body. Both of those terms, the, the terms that Paul uses for the, the body of Christ, the, the local church, the universal church, they are inherently unified in them. And Paul is calling us to that unity. Uh, Christ is our head, we are his body, and we are to follow him in a unified way. Paul goes on, though, and he gives his second insight into the church. And two, uh, two in your notes. Paul's second insight into the church is our position in the church. We are one part of a whole body. We sort of touched on this already. You look around the room, you see a whole, but there's lots of individual parts. We as a body of Christ, there are many individuals here, but we make up this local church. And each of us have a part in that local church. We are individual parts placed together to create a whole. We are a part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. And a lot of times, we can forget that. We, a lot of times, look at ourselves and we think of everything that we do, and we forget that we're part of a whole and that there's something bigger going on. And Paul's challenging us also that we're just one part of the whole body and we need to remember uh, that we are one part of that body. Be in your notes. We are an essential part of the body. If we go to verse 16, we'll look at, we'll look at both of these, that we're one part and essential. It says in verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase um, of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I'll read real quick from the NIV. It, ex it explains it a little bit easier for us uh, to understand in English. It says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So you can see the aspect in there that we are one part of the whole, but also we're an essential part. I didn't spend a lot of time on this, but look at the end of verse 16 there. In the NIV it says, uh, the church, when it's, when it's all together, it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Just like when one part of our body doesn't work correctly, it affects the rest of the body. The same is true in our spiritual life. We grow, we edify one another in love when each part is doing its part, when it's working properly. But when it's not, it, it hinders and it affects the growth of the church. Christ can still work in the church, but it does hinder and affect it. Um, and we are called uh, to be a part and be an essential part um, of, our, of our local church. See in your notes. 
We are a purposeful and unique part of the body. We're a purposeful and unique part of the body. In verse 7 through 11, uh, he, lists, uh, he, he explains um, this aspect. And for sake of time, uh, I'll jump just to verse 7 and 8 and 11. He says, But unto every one of us is given in accordance of the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he said, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Jump down to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You might say, okay, what is he talking about here? Pastor explained part of how this fits into to, um, our doctrine and into our theology um, on Memorial Day. You can go back and listen to his message. Um, but as far as in the context here, it is dealing with that Christ actually gave us gifts, abilities to be able to serve within the church. If you jump back to Ephesians chapter 3 real quick, uh, Paul actually explains his uh, his position in the church as apostle in the same terms. He says, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of power. Unto me who is less uh, than the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul, Paul's already using these terms gift and grace together to explain that this is uh, an ability or a way that, that we are able to serve within the body. Um, if you jump over to Romans chapter 12 also. Verse 6 through 8. Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. He says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Again, the same type of terms that he's using here. And then he's going to go on and explain some of those gifts. Whether prophesying, let us prophesy according to the portion of our faith. Our ministering, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on, exhorta- on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do so in simplicity. He that ruleth with, digni- uh, with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Paul, Paul lists out these, these different grace or, uh, um, gifts that, that God has graciously given to the church. Many times when we, when we think of gifts, we only think of the sign gifts. Um, and we believe that, that those have been put to the side. They're not what God primarily uses now. He, he still, though, uses the gifts of the church, the gifts of exhortation, the gifts of giving, the gifts of encouragement, the gifts of being able to teach, being able to disciple, being a friend uh, to those in the church. There are many different aspects as far as what we would maybe label as gifts, um, and sometimes we don't think of them, that God uses in each and every one of us to be able to build the body up, to make a whole out of all of its parts. And as we, as we look at the entirety of the, of the church, we are a purposeful and unique part of the body. Each and every one of you sitting here tonight has a purpose for being in this church. You might sit there and you might think, I'm not sure. I would encourage you to look into finding out how can I be a part of the church? How can I help those around you? But we all have a part. And I didn't take a lot of time on Wednesday night also, but I wanted to take some time tonight and just stop and thank the many of you who had a part and were a part of even impacting me as we grew up here in faith. At faith. For many of you who invested by faithfully serving here at church, whether it was in nursery, as pastor said, I came as a baby, so um, to some degree I probably still am a baby. Uh, 
but many of you had me in nursery, Sunday school teachers, junior church teachers and helpers, Calvary Club helpers, game leaders, verse hearers, um, the pastors, the faithful supporters of the church uh, who gave regularly to, to just help the church uh, function, um, the deacons, the camp counselors who came out the teen camp, the camp our trip cooks that traveled with us and made the food for us. For the many faithful examples of growing Christians, of growing spouses, parents, for those who cleaned the bathrooms, who locked up the building, who were involved in special music, who folded and stuffed bulletins for many years, who mowed the grass, who repaired the building, who sent cards, are those who faithfully prayed for me and my family. I don't know how to say it enough. <laughs> and I don't normally get emotional, but I knew I would at this point. Thank you. Because that had a great impact, not just on me coming to know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, but also on me growing and maturing. On me being able to go and be involved in, in, in ministries that God used to specifically impact in directing me to pastoral ministry. You can sit back and say that you weren't doing anything of value, but you were. Uh, you were a purposeful and unique part of the ministry and the body. Um, and Christ used you. And I can't say it enough, and there's no way I can, can express or repair the, the faithfulness that you gave, but thank you uh, for your service. This is what happens, though, when each part plays its part within the body. Christ can use it to build the church up, even in ways you don't know. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was interesting because my wife received several notes from people she had told that we were candidating at a church. What they didn't know is they sent a card and we received it the day after pastor asked us in the middle of candidating for another church um, if we'd be considering about candidating at this church. And the card was just very, very basic and said, hey, we're praying for you and we're praying that God directs you where he wants you to go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, the person who wrote that letter didn't know what God was doing, but God did, and he used that individual. Um, we might not know how we affect others, but we are a, a purposeful and unique, we're a central part of the body, um, and God wants to use us. Just looking at that aspect, what area are you going to serve in? For some of you, you've faithfully served, and I, and I challenge you to continually to faithfully to serve. You might have taught Sunday school for years and years and years. I challenge you, if, if you're able to, continue to. Um, serve in the church. Maybe you have been serving in an, an area of ministry, uh, but now your service needs to change a little bit for whatever reasons God might be moving you as far as how you serve. Then faithfully serve in another area that God moves you to, uh, that you can faithfully be a part of. For some of you, you might just need to start serving. If you're not sure how or where you can serve, then I'd encourage you to ask. I'd encourage you to be willing just to serve wherever somebody asks you. Uh, try it. Maybe it's not your, your talents or abilities. Maybe it is, and it's just an area you need to grow in and develop. Uh, ask those around you that know you. You know, what is an area that, that I might be able to serve and encourage the body of Christ? Uh, because we are to be doing that. The, the reason that these gifts or these talents were given to us weren't so that we could better our career or feel good about ourselves, but it was so that we could serve the body of Christ and edify it so that it could grow. Paul goes on then in, in uh, Ephesians, and he gives the third insight. Paul's third insight into the church is God's plan for the church. 
If we jump down to verse 11, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the, edif- uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and, the cunning ca- and their cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from who, whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making increase in the body unto the edification of itself in love. A, in your notes, the church is to be maturing. The purpose that these gifts were, were given, the purpose that Christ brought all of these parts together is so that we could mature together and we could build one another up. He says in there, he doesn't want us to be children anymore, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Uh, I was reading a commentary and they were describing how they had multiple kids and one of the places they went to with their kids was an ice cream store that had you know, 31 or so flavors. And the children would go in and, and they would all spend about, you know, 10 minutes trying to figure out what flavor they wanted because they couldn't make up their mind. Then they were all excited about the flavor that they wanted. And then by the time you walk out of the door and you get in the car, they've looked at what everybody else got and they decided they no longer want what they got and they wanted something else. How often is that us in our spiritual life? That the doctrines and the, the philosophies of the world bombard us they, they come against us, and we look around and we say, eh, I'm not so sure anymore. Maybe I want to go after this doctrine or this philosophy or this way of living. And, and we're so easily persuaded by, by what's going on around us. And, and Paul's saying, no, we're supposed to be maturing to the point where we're no longer the, the children that are, are unsure about and we can't stand up against uh, the accusations or the, the people that oppose what we believe or they, they question it, they challenge it. But he wants us to mature in such a way uh, that we can stand up to those, that we're not deceived by the crafty and cunning uh, attacks of, the, of Satan and, and the world around us. Our gifts were to, to, given to help the church grow. Uh, we already looked at that. We are to be growing into mature, more stable individuals that we can help, um, help as we edify the body. Um, as we grow in maturity, we grow in unity. Look at verse 13 real quick thought this was very interesting. It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Uh, the Greek word there for come, it's a, it's a verb and it's in the subjunctive form. And I had to look it up again because I've been out of Greek for so long. Uh, but it's, it's the idea that it's uh, a contingent uh, type of verb. It's something that can happen if something else happens. And it's tied together with the idea of verse 13. And verse 12, the, the idea of perfecting of the body, that we are being built up, that we are, are growing. And then it comes down to verse 13, till we all come into the unity of the faith. The, fa- the unity in the church is built as we continue to grow, which will make sense when we look at, at the end of the chapter and the different areas that Paul tells us to work at. Um, but we are built up in unity as we are growing in maturity also. This is something that, that is exciting to me uh, because I grew up in the church. 
When, when I come here as a pastor, I don't get a clean slate. You guys know me. I bring all my baggage with me. And that can be scary. And it's something that my wife and I, we've, we've struggled and worked through, thought over the last few weeks uh, as we considered the possibility of coming um, and joining staff here. And yet, it's exciting because according to this passage, it's okay. Because we're supposed to be growing as a body, which means others are going to know where we came from. They're going to see how we're growing. They're going to see how we're developing. So often I get stuck in my own mind that as a Christian, and to look good in front of the church, I have to already know and have achieved everything. And that's just not true. Uh, Each and every one of us has areas we need to grow. We need to mature. And we shouldn't be hiding it from the body. Is there wisdom in not, you know, boasting about how bad we are at something and how immature we are? Okay, no. But can we come alongside of other believers and say, hey, this is an area I'm struggling with, that I'm growing in, that Christ has been challenging me in, and we can build one another up and we can encourage one another and, and help each other grow? It is. Uh, it's, it's also the hope that the world needs. So many in the world are looking for a, a, a fresh start, somewhere to grow, somewhere to go, to not have to hold on to the baggage that they've been known by. And that's what the gospel gives us. It gives us the good news that Christ can transform our lives. And I think so often we worry so much about salvation and we forget that Christ wants us to continue to grow into his image. And that as Christians, we do have maturing to do. And it's going to be for the rest of our life. Um, and I appreciate the, the many faithful individuals in this church who have, have lived that out um, for, for many, many years just to be faithful Uh, Be in your notes. Not only are we to be maturing as a church, but the church is to be radically transformed. We're not going to have a lot of time to look at this, but I want to read through it and challenge you with a few things from it. Verse 17 through the end of the chapter, uh, Paul's going to lay out what we are supposed to be like, how we are to be different. Um, By radical, uh, we're often scared by the term radical. Uh, we're We're not talking here uh, the hatred, hatred idea and the evil that is, has hijacked the term radical um, when we think of radical Islam or, or other groups. But radical in the sense of, of being different, being extreme, or distinct in the fact of how we are going to live our, our life in love. He, he starts in verse 17 and says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of all the bitterness, or sorry, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, Uh, the things which are good, that he may have to give to them that are in need. 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Paul calls us to a life that is radically different than the world that is around us. This is the area, this is where the church is supposed to be growing and developing and becoming like. That we don't act out of our our natural sinful tendencies, but we act out of a Christ-like genuineness and love for those around us. That we we no longer hold on to the lying and the stealing and the anger um, and the, the bitterness and the, the wrath, but that we put that all away. Uh, this is one of the passages we get the idea of put off, put on. And Paul gives us a whole list of things, and I would challenge you to, this week to, to read through them because there, there's something in there for each and every one of us to work on. But he gives us an area that we are to put aside and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And he gives us a direction in which we are supposed to put on and an activity that we are supposed to live for. We're supposed to be a radically transformed church. And in doing so, we'll be a testimony even to the world around us and encouragement to those uh, that are within the church also. Applications for us today on the back of your sheet. To be a part of the church, one must enter through Christ. Uh, We looked at it a little bit on Wednesday night, but this all starts with a relationship with Christ. And I challenge anyone that's not here tonight that has never uh, had a personal relationship with Christ where they've asked Him to forgive them of their sins um, because of the, the, the sacrifice He made on the cross in His death, burial, and resurrection. If you've never done that, that's the start. And in the busyness of everything else that's going on tonight, our heart's desire is for anybody that, that has never done that, we would love to show you tonight. You can come catch me, you can come catch one of the other pastors, maybe someone that invited you here. Uh, I think for the majority of us here, we would love to take the time to sit down with you and show you from God's Word how you can have that relationship. So the foundation definitely is to be a part of the church, one must enter through Christ. Two, every believer is a part of the church. This is the idea of the universal church. When we are saved, we are added into the church. So if you have the mindset that you can sit back and you can just come to church here in a building and worship with us on Sunday, then that's not the, the, the purpose that Christ intended. He intended you to be a part of the church, and you are a part of the universal church. Um, are you a part of the, the local church, and are you going to to serve as Christ intended to in the local church. Three, to, uh, no part of the body is expendable. Any part that is not working properly uh, severely affects the church. Um, if you're not serving, you're affecting the church. And how you serve is going to look so different and, and drastic from how someone else in the church is going to serve. Uh, but are you, are you willing to put aside yourself and look at the needs of the church and to serve in whatever areas that, that you're able to or that God has gifted you in, um, giving you those abilities. Uh, we all need to be uh, working in the church. We're not expendable. Uh, for every part of the body is different and has a specific purpose in the body. Every part is different and has a specific purpose in the body. Uh, each and every one of us is here for a reason. Uh, Christ has brought us to this local church 
uh, for a reason and for a purpose that he can use us here. Um, are we willing uh, to allow God to use us? Are we willing to uh, serve along one another? Um, are we willing uh, to be able to be used to edify the body? Five, Christ has given every believer a gift that he intends to be used to build up his church. He's given us a gift that he intends. The, the idea of the gift there is just an ability to serve. Uh, whether it's a, a talent or an ability, uh, whether it's a heart, whether it's the ability to see someone that's hurting and in need, uh, Romans lays out that whole list. Um, and it's, it's not an inclusive list. That's just part of a list that, that, that Paul gives us. That we are able to serve um, in the church. Are you using your abilities to build up the church or are you using them to build up self? Again, maybe you've been wondering how you can serve. I'd uh, encourage you to ask. Uh, ask those around you what your, your uh, gifts are, what, what abilities you have, uh, where you can be plugged into the church. Uh, six, the purpose of the church is to build up one another as we unite around Christ and the gospel. Does our expectations of the church match God's intent for the church, or are we willing to set aside um, our own ideas of the church to take on Christ's view of the church? Uh, the NBA Finals uh, were just wrapped up on Friday. Um, I wasn't able to watch any of them, but I enjoyed listening to the sports radio commentators and all. And throughout the, the playoffs and the finals, uh, a lot of times they'll, you know, every day it changes because one team's doing really great, they're going to win everything, the next day they do bad. They're going to lose it all. But one of the, uh, one of the areas that the commentators and the, the different hosts kept on talking about, um, specifically for like the Celtics team, uh, the idea that their coach was doing really, really well to be able to, to brainstorm a game plan for their young players, even though a lot of their stars were injured. And they were doing a lot better than many people were expecting. And uh, a lot of them were almost blowing out of proportion the ability of this coach, and he did a great job. Uh, but they were, they were blowing up this ability that the coach was able to use all of the parts, and they had a system and a plan in place uh, that they were able to go out and beat teams that they weren't expected to beat. And that got me thinking. We have the greatest coach in Christ. He is our head. He's our leader. He has the perfect game plan. It might mean that he uses ordinary players instead of stars. He might write up a play that is extremely unconventional, and we, we stretch our head and we wonder why in the world would God do it that way. But God has a plan. Are we willing to buy into God's game plan? Are we going to try to fight it out on our own? We're a part of the church. God has a plan for us, and he wants to see us grow. The, plan, the challenge this week, are you dedicated to the unity and growth of the church? Are you going to buy into God's game plan? Are you going to try to do it on your own? Let's pray.